bigger and possibly existential concern. Part 4. TKO. Concussion actually is written into the laws of boxing in the sense that you have a 10 count. So if you get flawed and you require 10 seconds to get up and get your senses together, there's a good chance that you're concussed. So the sport sort of includes it in the rules. Our fourth and final expert witness is Tris Dixon, a former amateur boxer turned journalist and author. His most recent book, Damage, the Untold Story of Brain Trauma in Boxing, delves into the sport's history books revealing decades-old links to concussion and also to CTE. I was interested to see how fighters coped after the final bell. We'd heard stories about depression, we'd heard stories about suicide bids and people falling off the rails, and I started to read about the behaviour of football players in the US, and I started to think, geez, this is what's going on in boxing. He also joins the dots between repeated concussion, CTE and acts of extreme violence. While it's not a comfortable subject to talk about in boxing, it has happened through the years. Carlos Monzon killed his partner, so did Edwin Valero, Del Fontaine and Billy Papka. Um, they killed loved ones as well. The more I got into the weeds, the more I realised it was the same thing. And in fact, CTE, as it is known now, was originally punch drunk syndrome, which was first coined in a medical paper in 1928. That paper was written by American pathologist Dr. Harrison Martland and was in fact titled Punch Drunk. He proposed and then proved a connection to boxers who exhibited signs of neurological wear and tear after years of slugging it out in the ring. Almost 100 years on from Dr. Martland's discovery, another landmark study is taking place on US soil. It's called the Professional Fighters Brain Health Study and focuses on the cumulative effects of concussive and subconcussive injuries to the brain. Now in its 10th year, the physicians behind this study have reported a link between the number of fights endured by a boxer and neurological decline, and that brain damage most commonly appears after five years of competitive fights. The study also aims to identify factors that make a fighter more likely to develop neurological disorders, whilst others seem to emerge unscathed. Muhammad Ali was obviously one of the flagship fighters who many wanted to retire after he beat Joe Frazier in their third fight. But he had more fights against Larry Holmes, Trevor Burbick and Leon Spinks. And he took, you know, hundreds and hundreds more punches. When you look back through history and you see that Henry Armstrong, Sugar Ray Robinson, Muhammad Ali, Joe Lewis all suffered with neurological problems as they got older... But what we also need to find out is why can you have a fighter like George Foreman, who's now in his 70s, and as bright as a button after two long, hard careers? Why do some people seem to have a reserve that has kept them safe later in life? So, why hasn't boxing done more to protect its fighters from the ever-present threat of serious brain injury? Triss believes boxing's fragmented structure plays a major role. There's plenty of commissions, councils and federations, but no centralised governing body to set and then to enforce increased measures. But he also believes the sport and those within it who pull the strings turn a blind eye to the inconvenient and often painful truth. The NFL tried to argue against the science. Boxing just doesn't really do anything with it. The science is there. You can Google CTE in boxing. You can Google punch drunk syndrome or dementia pugilistica. It's two other titles. I'm not sure that there is that motivation in boxing to actually utilise the science that's being produced at the minute. 
The World Medical Association, alongside the British Medical Association, has for years called for an all-out ban on the sport of boxing. Tris Dixon, however, doesn't agree and cites free will as the reason why. Muhammad Ali left behind a legacy and if he could do it all again, he would. I spoke to the great Aaron Pryor's widow for the book and Aaron would always say he wouldn't change a thing. And that's a recurring theme in the sport. It's these guys' lives and, and that's how they want to live it. How will the concussion issue affect the future of sport? The answer, it seems, depends upon innovation and scientific discovery. If the means to identify tau protein in the brains of the living can be found, then CTE can be diagnosed in life rather than in death. And that could be transformative for world sport. In the meantime, the consensus is that limiting players and indeed fighters' exposure to head trauma is a crucial first step. And that means letting the science lead reforms in everything from daily training sessions to competitive matches. This episode of The Inquiry was presented by me, Paul Connolly. The producer was Stefania Okareke. Moments that are always remembered. Moments that went unrecognised. Moments that shaped the course of history. Adolf Kuhn was working as a mechanic when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Henrietta gave her life for medical science. It's one of the most heavily landmined areas in the world. Extraordinary moments in history, told by the people who were there. The journalists wrote outstanding stories. Witness History. Just search for Witness History wherever you get your podcasts.